Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Please have a seat. Ladies and gentlemen, please have a seat up there. Welcome to The Late Show, ladies and gentlemen and girl wonder. I... They're going to change the world. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert, and tonight... Thank you, my friends. Thank you very much. And tonight, we are coming to you not quite live after today's January 6th committee hearings. Today's installment was huge. It was gigantic. It was super big... gulp? Because <laughs> the committee painted a chilling and criminally insane portrait of an attempt to steal the election by weaponizing the Justice Department, courtesy of former president Scammy Doofus Jr. <laughs> now, now, folks, <laughs> at the start of the hearing, Liz Cheney recapped what we've seen so far. We have seen how President Trump persuaded tens of thousands of his supporters to travel to Washington, D.C. for January 6th. And we will see in far more detail how the president's rally and march to the Capitol were organized and choreographed. That's right. It was all choreographed. A five, six, seven, eight, storm stomp, window smash, kick, ball change, jazz hands, zip tie them. Pow, zip, zip. Yeah, I still got it, baby. Today's hearing was led by Illinois Republican and guy who's just thrilled the Property Brothers gave him a new accent wall. Adam Kinzinger. Kinzinger explained how important it is to keep the presidency separate from the Justice Department. The president cannot and must not use the department to serve his own personal interest. And he must not use its people to do his political bidding. The president cannot pervert justice. Yes, even if the president is technically a pervert. <laughs> now, the key witnesses, these were the key witnesses, right? These are keys? Thank you, friend. The key witnesses today were former acting attorney general and Dobby the House lawyer, <laughs> Jeff Rosen, and former acting deputy attorney general Richard Donahue, seen here getting dumped via skywriting. <laughs> These two guys took over the DOJ after attorney general Bill Barr saw where the former president's crazy chain was going and said, uh, this is my stop. <laughs> McKinsinger asked Rosen what happened once they took over. Mr. Rosen, on Christmas Eve, your first official day as the acting attorney general, President Trump called you. What did he want to talk about? <clears throat> uh, the same things he was talking about publicly. So, low-flow toilets and windmill cancer? <laughs> no? <laughs> and but keep in mind, this was on December 24th. What a lovely way to spend Christmas Eve. 
Was the night before Christmas and all through D.C., the POTUS was screaming, the winner was me. <laughs> the conspiracies hung like a stench in the air, as thin and as fake as the president's hair. <laughs> the former president, <laughs> Mama in her kerchief, and I in my cap. <laughs> the former president was persistent, as Kinzinger explained. In the weeks leading to January 6th, the Department of Justice was fielding almost daily requests from the president to investigate claims of election fraud. Each claim was refuted time and time again, an effort Attorney General Barr described as whack-a-mole. And when that whack-a-mole didn't work, they would eventually go on to whack Mike Pence. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> Are you just learning that from me right now? So, the new head of the DOJ told the president there's absolutely no evidence that the votes were fraudulent or that the election was stolen. And here's how the president responded. Just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. Sure, because that's how the law works. That's why the opening to law and order goes like this. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The Justice Department, who accuses a crime with no proof, and the Republicans in Congress, who make up crap to justify it. So, keep in mind... What Kinzinger just read there off the DOJ's notes is the heart of the crime, okay? The president knows there's no evidence and he wants the DOJ to just lie, say that there is evidence of corruption so that his cronies in Congress can overturn the fair election. And at one point, the former president was so spewing so many insane conspiracies, Donahue had to start jotting them down just to keep it straight. I begin taking notes only because at the outset the president made an allegation I had not heard. Um, and, of course, that concerned us. So I simply reached out and grabbed a notepad off my... Wife's nightstand and a pen, and I started jotting it down. Then later, uh, his wife came home and said, Honey, uh, why did you write Hugo Chavez trained dolphins are smuggling ballots into nuclear hurricanes? Are you having a stroke, darling? Do you smell toast? <laughs> now, as the hearings went on, we learned how the president's desperation led him to make shocking requests. The president was a little more agitated than he had been on the meeting in the meeting on the 15th. Um, he discussed a variety of election matters. There was a point at which the president said something about, why don't you guys seize machines? Well, that's a very casual way to end democracy. <laughs> hey, guys, why don't you seize all the machines? I'll cancel the elections and just order some secret police for the whole table. You guys want to go halvesies on fascism with me? I hear... <laughs> I hear the brown shirts here are delicious. <laughs> he was told... <laughs> true story. The former president was told in no uncertain terms by the DOJ and the DHS, you cannot seize the machines. And as crazy as it is to say, none of that was the really crazy part. Because Kinzinger also shared this. The final email here included a completely baseless conspiracy theory that an Italian defense contractor uploaded software to a satellite that switched votes from Trump to Biden. Ah, yes, the Italian space conspiracy. 
And I'm, is this true? I'm being told the Late Show has acquired exclusive footage of the high-tech Italian satellite system. Of course, we dispiace. Of course, they didn't just pull the Italian space hack out of their butts. They pulled that theory out of somebody else's butt because Republican Congressman Scott Perry forwarded a video from YouTube to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and Meadows sent the YouTube video to the DOJ demanding they investigate, and they played a clip of it today. And I will say, it started out strongly weird. <laughs> Here's some guy claiming something by someone. There was a certain State Department guy whose name I don't know uh, yet. I guess this is probably going to come out in Italy at some point. And he was the mastermind, not the mastermind, but the, um, but the, anyway, the guy running the operation of changing the votes. And that he was doing this in conjunction with some support from MI6, the CIA, and this Leonardo group. It's as simple as that. <laughs> your Honor, Your Honor, please. My client couldn't have been there on the night of the murder because he was with... I don't know yet. It'll come out at some point. <laughs> Anyways, I blame the Leonardo group. Or Donatello, Michelangelo, or Raphael. Their payoff was pizza. <laughs> Their code word, cowabunga. Heroes in a half shell. Kinzinger summed up how ridiculous the former president's conspiracy theories were. This is one of the best examples of the lengths to which the pres President Trump would go to stay in power. Scouring the internet to support his conspiracy sh theories shown here, as he told Mr. Donahue in that December 27th call, quote, you guys may not be following the internet the way I do. On the toilet with a safe search off? <laughs> now... <laughs> when acting Attorney General Rosen refused to interfere in the election, the former president turned to Assistant Attorney General for the Environment and high school principal who's had it with your rap music, <laughs> Jeffrey Clark. Clark had drafted a letter that the former president liked very, very much. Uh, and the letter was intended to be sent to Georgia state election officials, and the letter was going to claim that the DOJ had evidence of massive election fraud, even though they did not. Everyone thought Clark's proposal was crazy, including White House attorney Eric Hirschman. I thought Jeff's proposal, Clark's proposal, was nuts. I mean, this guy said at a certain point, you know, listen, the best I can tell is the only thing you know about environmental and elections challenges is they both start with E. And based on your answer tonight, I'm not even certain you know that. To which Clark replied, of course they don't. Environment starts with an N, and election starts with an L. A uh, duh. <laughs> then, as with all... Then, as with all the ex-president's criminal schemes, it was time to hear about Rudy Giuliani's role. 
remember ever recommending to anybody that um, Mr. Clark, meaning Jeffrey Clark at DOJ, be given election-related responsibilities. You mean beyond the president? That is a long pause. <laughs> but it does take a while to chug a bottle of yellowtail Chardonnay. <laughs> Rudy eventually answered. You mean beyond the president? Correct. Well, beyond the president, I do recall saying to people that, um, Somebody should be put in charge of the Justice Department who isn't uh, fr uh, frightened of what's going to be done to their reputation. And if there's anyone who's proven he doesn't care about what happens to his reputation, <laughs> it's Rudy. I say we need someone in charge of justice who won't mind being remembered as a wine-drenched fascist apologist who betrayed his nation next to some discount dildos. <laughs> Rosen... It's a great price. Slightly used. Gently used. Gently. Rosen refused to send Clark's letter to Georgia, so Clark convinced the president to give him Rosen's job as the head of the DOJ. That led to, let's say, a tense meeting in the Oval Office, which the committee illustrated with some cutting-edge graphics. Look at those pale, translucent bodies. They cloned Mike Pence. <laughs> at the meeting, at the meeting, Donahue expressed why he had doubts that Clark was the man for the job. I made the point that Jeff Clark is not even competent to serve as the attorney general. He's never been a criminal attorney. He's never conducted a criminal investigation in his life. And he kind of retorted by saying, well, I've done a lot of very complicated appeals and civil litigation, environmental litigation, and things like that. And I said, that's right, you're an environmental lawyer. How about you go back to your office and we'll call you when there's an oil spill? Oh! Damn! This is the Department of Justice and you just got served. Hey! Hey, Jeffy! Hey, Jeffy, why don't you go screw a protected otter, okay, you grasshole? Isn't there a baby pelican you should be scrubbing with a toothbrush? You want to be helpful, Jeff? Go hump a redwood, you shaved Lorax. We got a great show for you tonight. More Late Show Poncho after this. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my friends, please have a seat, everybody. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, please have a seat. You might notice I'm over here, not over there, because there's just so much to talk about tonight. We have more monologue tonight, and, and, and it's all about... And it's more about today's uh, hearing of the January 6th committee. The whole afternoon, 
if you had a chance to watch it, you'll, you'll know that it was a stomach-churning parade of reasonable people talking about a completely unhinged leader, demanding that they forego their consciences and engage in his ongoing criminal conspiracy. And that brings us to the kind of fun part of the proceedings. Because <laughs> we now know the names of those Republican congresspeople who were so certain that they had committed crimes in the president's name that they started begging the president to preemptively pardon them. The six Republicans are Scott Perry, Mo Brooks, Louie Gohmert, Andy Biggs, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and, and the creme de la creep, Matt Gates, who, who is looking for a pardon for maybe more than just this coup. The pardon that he was discussing, requesting, was as broad as you could describe from the beginning, of, I remember he's from the beginning of time up until today, for any and all things. That's a little broad. Uh, yeah, I was hoping I could get a pardon uh, from the beginning of time, uh, or my girlfriend's sophomore year, whichever came first. <laughs> and this, this was very important to Matt Gates. He would not let it go. Mr. Gates was personally pushing for a pardon, and he was doing so since early December. I'm not sure why. I am. I'm pretty sure. There's a major reason, and it involves a minor. We'll be right back. Coming up, Beto O'Rourke. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. My first guest tonight served three terms as a congressman from Texas, ran for Senate in 2018, and ran for president in 2020. He's now a candidate for governor of Texas. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> Good to see you again. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, let, let me just get uh, right into the heat of the meat here. The January 6th committee held its fifth hearing today. Um, some doubt going into this process about... Um, how informative it would be, how much they'd be able to connect the dots, how interested people would be. What is your reaction to the hearing so far? First of all, I'm just so grateful that our country's doing this because if we don't have truth, if there is no accountability, then it sets the precedent that those in the highest positions of public trust can break the law with complete impunity. And though Trump wasn't successful with this attempted coup and insurrection, it will set the stage for either Trump in another year or somebody else who is just as ambitious and 
willing to disregard the Constitution, our laws, and 246 years of American history. So with accountability, with consequences, then perhaps this truly is an exceptional event and we don't see anything like it again. But I have to tell you, in Texas, where it is harder to cast a ballot or register to vote than in any other state, made so last year by our, by our governor who signed some Trump-inspired legislation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this insurrection attempt is not over. It's rolling through our states, coming out of our legislatures, making it harder and harder for more and more people to cast a ballot and really begging the question whether we're going to have a democracy going forward unless we stand and fight for it right now. Well, one of the things... <laughs> one of the ways... One of the ways Governor Abbott distinguished Texas in the past year is that uh, y'all were pioneers in voting restrictions. Governor Abbott signed a law that had some of the most restrictive uh, voting laws put in place it, as the beginning of this wave, just had the primaries in March where you, where you received the nomination for the Democrats for uh, governor down there. But across the board, in the primaries in Texas, uh, what was the effect of those restrictive voting laws? Did you, did you see a change? We did. So 13% uh, of the mail-in ballots cast were rejected. And those were Democratic voters, independent voters, Republican voters. And Is it, that it, high? It, the, the high watermark before was 1%. You know, if, it went if, from 1% to 13% if, if in we a single were, cycle. That's right. If we were watching the news and Cuba today had elections and 13% of the ballots were rejected, we'd say... Well, that, that sounds about right. Um, to have that happen in this country, and case in point, 95-year-old World War II veteran. So this guy fought fascism half a world away to defend democracy here at home. His ballot-by-mail request was rejected three times because the new law says that in order to vote by mail, you have to use the same form of ID with which you originally used to register, even if you did that in 1940. Now, this guy can be forgiven for not remembering how he registered to vote, what form of ID he used back in 1940. But for, for this guy, and I don't know if he was a Republican or a Democrat, that does not matter. For this guy, if, of any American who's earned the right to vote, it is this man. For him not to be able to vote in Texas just shows you the work that we've got to do. And I'm up for it, and the people of Texas are up for it. Now, We're going to do it. I want to. There, there was there was a fair amount of uh, a crazy at the Republican uh, uh, the, the the Texas Republican convention in uh, just last week. A couple of things happened. One is a they 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 voted into their platform that Joe Biden is not legitimately elected president of the United States. But they also did crazy things like they added something in that never been in there before, which was calling homosexuality an aberrant lifestyle, which was sort of I thought sort of a, a settled issue. Things like gay marriage in the United States. Even many Republicans are supportive. Is what's happening in the Republican Party at least officially down there? Is that reflective of the Republicans you meet? in Texas, or are these extremists who have control of the party? No, no, these are the extremists, but connected to what we were talking about earlier, I think it reinforces the idea that, you know, progress is not inevitable. Uh, no victory is, is ever final. I mean, no democracy is ever assured. We had the Voting Rights Act signed into law by a Texas president in 1965, Lyndon Baines Johnson. And you would have thought the matter was settled, but in the last 10 years after the Shelby decision, those rights have been chipped away, nowhere more so than in the state of Texas. Texas, which produced Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade and Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey, her two attorneys, which successfully prevailed upon an all-male Supreme Court to make abortion legal in the United States 49 years ago, that's a state that has outlawed abortion completely. 
beginning at conception with no exception for rape or incest. And the same with gay marriage. You, you would have thought, again, this issue is settled. Texas leadership is trying to turn back the clock. Now, that is not us. And I want the people of America outside of Texas to know this. That is not who we are. It's not Democrats, independents, or Republicans in the state. It is those who hold power today. And, and the best way to challenge this, check this, and overcome it is to win political power on November 8th. And that's why we're in this race, so we can get Texas back to a place where we can all be proud of it. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Beto O'Rourke, everybody. Stick around. Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney, the voice of Korra on The Legend of Korra. And me, Dante Bosco, the voice of Zuko on The Last Airbender and General Iroh on The Legend of Korra. Each week we'll recap and discuss another episode of The Last Airbender. I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but... Amazing guests stop by from creators to cast to super fans to chat all things Avatarverse. Are we saying that this is possible in the Avatar universe? Varney, we gotta spread the word. Now fans can also check out our weekly video pods too by subscribing to the official Avatar YouTube channel. That's a lot of fire, isn't it? That's right, we're on video this season, everybody. So whether you're a super fan with encyclopedic knowledge or you're brand new to this incredible world, it's Fire Nation time, Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Brave the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, we're back here with Democratic nominee for the governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke. Mr. O'Rourke, um, we, we planned to have you on uh, back in May originally, but then uh, the tragic shooting happened in Uvalde and I, I am I'm sorry for the tragedy for your state, um, all the tragedies, all the gun tragedies that happened in your state recently. Tomorrow marks one month since that terrible day. How are the residents of Texas processing the, the horror of this event? It, it's tough, and, and for no one more so than the people of Uvalde. And, and those parents, um, I talked to uh, a mom yesterday, and she said, Beto, I, I am living in, in a hell right now. Um, but, but I want to do something so that no mom ever goes through this or feels the way that I do. I want to speak out. I mean, she said, I've, I've never been politically involved before. I don't even know what to do. But if there's something I can do, if I can lend my voice to something, please tell me. And, and, and I want to do, I want to stop this. I mean, Uvalde, El Paso, where we lost 23 people and they were, they were taken from us in 2019. Santa Fe High School, another horrific school shooting in Texas, we, we've got to stop this. And the people of Texas do want to stop this. And they're willing to do the work. And as you know, not everyone's going to agree on everything all the time. But there's a lot of common ground on this. Universal background checks, um, where, where everyone who wants to purchase a gun has some kind of review so that if they're going to be a danger to themselves or to someone else, we can stop them before it's too late. A red flag law where someone says, listen, I want to harm myself or I want to go into my school and harm other people. Well, if they have a firearm in the house, with due process, we remove that firearm until they can get better to save lives in the process. Safe storage laws. So my friend Rhonda Hart, who lost her daughter in Santa Fe High School, her daughter Kimberly, 
She's a gun owner, she's an army veteran, she's a school bus driver, or she was at the time in the school district where her daughter was killed. She said, we lock our guns up at home and, and it's safe and I've got kids in the house and it just makes common sense. Let's make sure that everyone does that. Now, on those three things, on that much, we can agree. And so let's move forward on that. But with the people in power right now, who are beholden to the NRA. And you may have seen this, Greg Abbott, you know, tapes a message for the NRA convention that's held in Houston, Texas, three days after the shooting in Uvalde, um, you know, paying tribute to them while trying to somehow make us believe that he's gonna do something different, even though he hasn't after any one of these mass shootings. In fact, he signed a bill last year called Permitless Carry that now allows anyone to carry a firearm loaded on our streets without any background check, any review, any training whatsoever. What is the possible benefit for him there politically? The NRA, the, the extreme fringe of, of the right wing of his party, but I'll tell you, police officers, uh, sheriff's deputies across the state of Texas begged him not to do this. They said, you know, Mr. Governor, with all due respect, over the last five years, 38,000 times people asked for a license to carry a firearm and they were denied because they had a criminal history. They had beaten their wives. Um, they had tried to kill themselves and we didn't think it was smart for them to be armed. Now all 38,000 of them have guns and tens of thousands more who knew better than to ever apply for a license to carry because they never would have passed a background check. They are free to do that. In Texas, more cops have been gunned down than in any other state. We've seen a predictable spike in gun violence, and, and our governor and our government in Texas has done nothing except make it easier for the wrong kind of people to have these firearms. But I tell you again, to, to try to be optimistic, and I am, the, the people of Texas aren't reflected in those decisions. And I'm talking Republicans and gun owners. I was in Hondo, Texas, the town next to Uvalde, um, met a guy, he's watering his lawn, we waved at each other, he said, I recognize you, and I said, sir, I'm so sorry for what's happening in, in your community right now. He's wearing a, a Confederate battle flag cap, he says, I've got seven guns in the house, but you know what, I've got a junior at Hondo High School right now, and I'm, I'm really worried about that guy. We, we gotta do something better. There's common ground between us, we just, have to, we just have to go out there and find it, and commit ourselves to it, and get something done. That's what those parents in Uvalde want us to do, and we those better do who it don't, Those who don't want any change are hoping that people will forget. That's right. That you just move on and you forget the way, you know, people, you know, Abbott wants people to forget about all the gun tragedies that came up to Uvalde that he could have done something about. Will people remember Uvalde? We will. I'll tell you what, I, I was there the day after the shooting, and uh, <laughs> I met um, the parents of this beautiful girl named Alithia, who had been killed the day before. Um, her 10th birthday party balloons are still clinging to the, the ceiling. She's an extraordinary artist. Her art is all over the walls. And her parents wanted me, they want all of you, to know that Alithia lived and that she had an extraordinary career uh, as this creative talent in, in front of her. And she leaves such a legacy already, only 10 years on, on this planet. And they, they want us to know that she lived. Um, they don't want her death to be in vain. They don't want any parent to feel what they're feeling right now. They want us to do something about it. They, they, they want action. It's the way that we felt in El Paso after um, our mass shooting in August of 2019. And the people of Texas are, are not just demanding it, they don't just want it, they're working for it. And I'll tell you, those people who are on the doors right now um, asking their friends and neighbors and family members to vote on November 8th in this election, they say, hey, your kid's life is, is on the ballot. Your reproductive rights are, are on the ballot. Your ability to marry the person that you love, 
That's all on the ballot right now. This is not R's and D's. This is America. This is democracy. These are our lives that we are voting for right now. And so I do think that good is ultimately going to prevail. We can't count on it. We can't uh, just hope that it happens. Um, this is a democracy. It's not a spectator deal. It's, it's all of us in all the time until we get this done. Thank you, Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Pod Show, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.